Good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. It is Wednesday, January 26th. It is 10.30 a.m. And it is time for Bible study. It is time to jump in to the book of Revelation. It's time to look at the first half of Revelation chapter 1. Today we'll be doing the first eight verses of Revelation. So uh, exciting stuff. Uh, I promise you that uh, you will learn something if you continue on this journey of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is the last book of the Bible. It is a book of prophetic prophecy, and it is something that we can all uh, learn from, study, and um, have a better understanding of who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus. Okay, so let's jump right in. We are looking at Revelation chapter 1. And uh, if you don't have your Bibles in front of you, that's fine. I will read you a little bit of the verse and then talk a little bit about it. So we are starting Revelation chapter 1, verse 1. So here we go. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants uh, what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Okay, so there's the first two verses, right? So from the outset, what we know is that the book of Revelation is a book about Jesus. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ and uh, to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So the book of Revelation is about Jesus. It is about who Jesus is, who Jesus, Jesus was somebody who lived like 50 to 60, 75 years before this was written. And so a lot was talked about Jesus over the, the past, you know, since he died, since he was resurrected and ascended. So the book of Revelation is about who Jesus is, where he fits in as far as the hierarchy of heaven and, and how Jesus' life, death, and, and his presence now in heaven impacts the rest of humanity. And so that's, that's what the book of Revelation is. And it talks about things that will soon take place. Uh, that's verse one. What must soon take place? So what does that mean? Things that must soon take place. Because a lot of people will say, well, they haven't, it hasn't taken place. So, so is Revelation wrong? Is John wrong? Well, a couple things. One, when God says something is going to happen soon, right? Our understanding of soon is much different than God's understanding of soon. And so when we think of soon, we think of like in the next 15 minutes. When God talks about soon, God could be talking about thousands of years. Uh, so it's important to understand that. Second, it's important to understand that we don't, we don't have a complete understanding of what actually John is talking about. There are things that we might not understand. And so we might think, well, that hasn't taken place yet. But in reality, what John was really talking about has already taken place. So when we get to these predictive prophecies going forward, you know, we ask the question, is, is, has something like this taken place already? Is there reason to believe that something, that this has already taken place according to what John believed was taking place? And then finally, interesting, the ancient Greek phrase is entache, uh, soon take place, which means quickly or suddenly coming to pass. Some scholars think that what John means is not that something will soon take place, but when it does come, it's going to be sudden right? It's going to take place. When it comes, it's going to come quickly. Sudden. There's not going to be a big buildup. You're not going to know what's happening. It's just going to be boom, and it's happening. Uh, so a couple different ways to look at that. Uh, I think probably a little bit of all three is, is probably where we land on the truth. So, okay. Uh, verse three. Listen to this. Listen to this. Verse three here. 
This is interesting to me. This is interesting to me. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Blessed are you for reading it aloud, for hearing, and for keeping it. This book says you are going to be blessed if you read it. You're going to be blessed if you read this book. There's it doesn't say that anywhere else in scripture. It doesn't say that in the gospel of John. Blessed are you for reading this gospel. Uh, and when you read it, you are going to be blessed. No, it doesn't, nowhere else does it say that. Which, which, what it, one, one thing this says is that when John wrote this, unlike any other places in scripture, when John wrote this, he truly understood what he was writing to be the word of God. He, he understood that what he was writing at the time when he was writing it, that this was scripture because he is proclaiming a blessing that God will bless you for, for reading this, for hearing this, and for keeping it, for keeping it. Um, I think that's really important. Uh, the book of Revelation gives us things to keep, to take to heart, to, uh, to change the way we think, right? To, to reflect and to take forward. So if we understand the book of Revelation, if we take the time to read it, if we take the time to wrestle with it, to understand it, Will it change the way we live? I would say yes. So this journey that we're on, this journey that we're on studying and listening to the book of Revelation, if we truly take it to heart, it will change the way we live. It will change the way we understand who God is and what it means to be God's people today. And so the book of Revelation truly is a book uh, in which that changes us, that through which we are changed. And so uh, keep that in the back of your mind as we go through it, right? So uh, blessed, we will be blessed and we will be changed because of it. Okay, verse four. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, if we remember two weeks ago when we talked about the book, the number seven and the seven churches, why these seven churches? Uh, some believe that it was just a big circle. That's where the, the, the post uh, offices were. Uh, the, but these uh, represents, these were in, uh, in the Asia, the Asian province of Rome, the Asian Roman province, which would be modern day Western Turkey. Uh, Grace to you and peace from he who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. Okay, we've got some theologically dense stuff here to unpack. So he who is and he who was and who is to come. So it's the talking about the eternal nature of God, right? And so uh, by by John is basically putting Jesus up at the same level as Yahweh, right? The God of the Old Testament uh, and saying that he is always been, he is, and he always will be. My daughter, who's six, asked me the question a little while ago, dad, how old is God? Right? How old is God? How do you answer that question? Because we, we have a, it's easier to understand eternity going forward. It's easier to understand we're going to live forever. Basically, what we're going to say is that there will be no end to the days, right? We'll just, right. So we can understand eternity going forward. We can understand life today, but it's so difficult to understand life in the past because everything that is has been created, right? We try and understand creation. We try to understand where did things come from? How did they get here? When did they get here? When was the world created? You know, what? Well, when was my house built? How was it built? When was I created? Right? We know we, when was God created? So we believe in a being that is separate, that is apart from creation, because through that being, all things were created. And so, so how do you answer that question? How old is God? Well, 
God is older than the oldest thing we know of. And and God God's eternity goes into the past. We we like to think of everything in our linear timeline, but God's timeline does not necessarily fit into our timeline uh, in the ways that we want it to to help us understand who God is. And so God, He who is, He who was, and He who is to come. Um, important way to understand God. And then the seven spirits. The seven spirits. It would have been a whole lot easier for John just to write the Holy Spirit. What does it mean, the seven spirits? Uh, so the seven spirits before the throne. What does that mean, the seven spirits? Uh, so again, if, if you remember from two weeks ago, we talked about how 70% of the book of Revelation is, uh, is written basically straight out of the Old Testament. And so when we talk about the seven spirits, uh, what, what are we talking about? Well, if we go to Isaiah 11, verse 2, it describes seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. And so again, seven is the number of God, right? The seven spirits. And so we have the seven aspects of the Holy Spirit from Isaiah 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord rested upon him. So the Spirit one is with us, right? Rests upon us. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, spirit of counsel and might, spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So, so basically, when, when de- describing the Spirit, uh, what John is doing here is not describing the Spirit like we would describe the Spirit. If you were to be told to describe the Holy Spirit, what would you think of? You would think of like a dove or a flame, right? Those are the two main images we have for the Holy Spirit because the flame from Pentecost and the dove from the day of Jesus' baptism. Instead of doing that, John is describing the Spirit by the seven things that the Spirit does. Rests upon us, gives us wisdom, gives us understanding, gives us counsel, gives us might, gives us knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So um, that is where we, the seven spirits are the seven things that the Spirit, uh, that the Spirit does. Okay, we're jumping ahead to verse five. We're not able to do everything. Uh, to do everything would be to take way too long. Uh, but verse five, to him who loves us and freed us, from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood. So it's important that we know that Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us. Well, how can we know that Jesus loves us? Well, he freed us from our sins by his blood, meaning that he bled and died for us because he loves us. The work of Jesus on the cross is God's ultimate proof of love for you, for me. Now, we certainly get more proof throughout our life of the ways in which God loves us, right? But there is no greater way God can show how much we are loved than the work on the cross, than Jesus' work on the cross. And so I think it's normal and natural to look at our present circumstances and to measure God's love by that, right? To say, things aren't going very well in my life. Why isn't God loving me right now? Why is God being so hard on me right now, right? Blaming God or looking, or the flip side, is things are going really well. Well, I'm really blessed. God really loves me. You can see how much God loves me by the way, by how good my life is going, right? And so, you know, I would say that's a, that's not a very good, that, that's a bad way to look at and measure God's love, right? God's love for us was shown on the cross. Do you want to know if God's love you, that God loves you? Look to the cross. And, and sometimes our present day circumstances are just so apparent that they make us consider that it becomes part of the equation as to how much God loves us, but it's not. Uh, God's love is always with us 
because Jesus died on the cross. Uh, he bled, uh, he freed us from our sins by his blood. Um, and, and there's no greater proof that God is ever going to show you uh, as to, to prove that you, are, that you are loved. All right, verse 7. Verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. Okay. Jesus is going to return. Jesus is going to return. And when he does, he's going to come on the clouds, right? Jesus said that he was going to return. And we should be watching and waiting. Matthew 24, right? And so here he is coming on the clouds. Now, clouds are uh, commonly associated with God's presence. Uh, if you look through the Old Testament, God spoke in the cloud, Exodus, right? Uh, if you look to uh, the transfiguration, right? They, they went up on top of a mountain because there's clouds up there, right? So, so, so God's presence is, is related to a cloud. But we need to understand that when Jesus returns, he's not going to be riding on a cloud like, like Aladdin rode on a rug, right? Like a, he was on a flying rug, you know, that when Jesus returns that he'll be like riding on a cloud and on, only those who can see that cloud will be able to see him. Now, it's, it, the, the idea here is that everyone who, who can read this can look up and see the clouds. And so when Jesus returns, everyone will look up and see Jesus in the same way that everyone will look up and see the clouds. All will see. Now, what's interesting is this is written at a time 2,000 years ago when they believed the earth was flat, and they believed that everybody had day at the same time and everybody had night at the same time. So how will that be different? We don't know, but I think it's, it's, it's something that will be different than, than what we understand. But what we, uh, the way that we, um, the, the point here is that when Jesus returns, everyone's going to know, right? It's not going to be like people in Asia know first, and then, you know, two weeks later, people in Africa will know, and then a week later, people in Europe will know. No, we're, we're all going to know. So, okay, verse eight. Oh, I'm sorry, before we get to that, uh, even those who pierced him. When Jesus comes, everyone will know, even those who pierced him. And this fulfills Zechariah 12, verse 10. Again, 70% of the book of Revelation is part of, it goes back to the Old Testament. So Zechariah 12, verse 10, and I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So when Jesus comes, this is going to have a special, uh, it's going to have a special impact on the people of Israel. Uh, they will look on me whom they pierced. And is God going to be angry when Jesus comes? Is he going to be upset? Is he going to be angry? Is he going to punish? No, it says, I will look on them. I will pour out upon them the spirit of grace and supplication. I will show them grace. The spirit of grace. So uh, when Jesus comes, the, the people who pierced him are going to uh, understand that they, reject, that they rejected the Messiah and the Messiah will show them grace, right? But it just won't be the people of Israel, right? Uh, all will look at his scars. All the peoples of the, it says, all the tribes of the earth will wail. They will all look at him and say, we did this. We, all of humanity, God came to us, all of humanity, and, uh, and we crucified him. And we said, we don't want you. We're not interested in you. We would rather have you be dead, right? And so all will well. Um, okay, verse 8. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Okay, so now we have a shift. We have a shift from John introducing Jesus to Jesus introducing himself. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Uh, so um, the idea behind these titles for Jesus is that he is before all things and will remain beyond all things. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, before all things, at the end of all things, right? And then uh, the Almighty. The word Almighty is the ancient Greek word uh, pantocrator, pantocrater, whatever, which really means the one who hands, the one who has his hand on everything. The one who has his hand on everything. This word is used in the 10 times in the New Testament, and nine of those times are in the book of Revelation. So we ask, what does it mean that Jesus has his hand on everything? What does it mean that Jesus is the Almighty? What does that mean for you? What does that mean for um, Jesus' control over everything, over every little thing in the world? So if Jesus is both the beginning and the end, does he have authority over everything in between? Right? We, we know Jesus is the beginning. We know Jesus is the beginning. We know Jesus is the end. And at the beginning of our lives, we know Jesus is there. And at the end of our lives, we know Jesus is there. But does Jesus have authority over everything in between? I think it's an important question. What does it mean that Jesus has authority over everything in between? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for the things that happen to us? What does that mean for the things that happen in our world, right? How does a pa worldwide pandemic fit into Jesus's authority? How, how does cancer fit into Jesus's authority? Where does it all make sense? How does it all make sense? Something to think about. So we'll stop there. We are through the first eight verses. Uh, next week, we will finish chapter one. A uh, lot, lot more good, fascinating stuff. Uh, and I hope you'll continue to join me on this because as it says, if you go through the book of Revelation, you will be blessed. So, so stick around and, and we'll see what blessings come of it. So let us close with a word of prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for uh, all that you've done for us, for being with us. Uh, for the ways in which you have given us counsel and might and wisdom and understanding, uh, for the ways in which you guide us through life, uh, and for the ways in which you love us, even when it doesn't, oh, when life isn't always perfect, Lord, we can know that we are loved because of what you've done for us on the cross. Uh, bless us, uh, bless each and every one of us, bless our world, bless our leaders, uh, bless all those who, um, who are going through difficult times right now. Uh, may they know that you are with them and may they know that they are loved. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, everyone, have a great week, and I will see you uh, next week. Take good care of yourselves.